Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Well, welcome to another episode of the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled today to have uh, Denise Colley and Andrea Borge uh, with us today as guests, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Denise, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, my name, uh, as you said, is Denise Colley. I'm a speech language pathologist at Halton Catholic District School Board. I've been here since about 2005. Um, for the first 10 years, I was a school-based SLP. And then for the past uh, several years, I've been manager of the department. And I also coordinate services for students who are deaf and hard of hearing, blind, low vision, and who have FASD. Thank you. Andrea. Wonderful. And my name is Andrea Borch, and I began my career as a communicative disorders assistant, a CDA, um, with the Halton Catholic District School Board back in 2008. Thank you. Well, so uh, let's first hear about uh, your service delivery model at the Halton Catholic District School Board. Sure. Our board um, includes Oakville, Burlington, Milton, Georgetown, and Acton. Um, our team at the Board of Speech-Language Pathologists and CDAs include 11 FTEs of SLPs and five full-time equivalents of communicative disorders assistants. Um, our board has 46 elementary schools that we support and 10 secondary schools. Our student population is about 37,000. And our model really uh, is one of a tiered, it's a tiered model of supports with a focus on early intervention. So there are some students that we keep on, you know, for longer in their school journey with us than others, um, but we do try to focus on mostly kindergarten to grade two. Mm-hmm. Um, and today we're going to be talking about services around uh, augmentative and alternative communication. So could you talk about how that service is set up uh, in your context? Sure. Um, So each of our uh, SLPs is assigned to a family of schools. So the elementary schools that feed into a secondary school, um, and they're very much generalists. So they support the entire caseload of the school, including students who are using AAC. Um, We do have 1.5 SLP position that is dedicated to supporting um, technology and the use of augmentative systems with our students. Um, And she has a bit of an itinerant flavor to her position where she will go around and help with maybe more complex assessments or building capacity of our team or, you know, troubleshooting certain, you know, technology. Um, So we're very grateful for that position. And then we also collaborate with Erin Oak Kids, uh, our children's treatment center, um, and they have the assistive device resource services, ADRS. So if a family is looking for um, an AAC system, we'll make a referral to them. All right. Thank you. 
So in the context of providing services to, to these students, what were some of the major challenges that you observed along your route? So one of the biggest challenges around the use of AAC systems at school um, has definitely been an increase in abandonment of AAC devices and systems. So we started to notice that it wasn't only students who weren't using their systems, but also the staff and families who were supporting them as well. Um, we also noticed that a lot of our students were a bit stuck. They were very good requesters, but we weren't moving beyond requesting that often. Um, mm -hmm. And because of that, we were finding they weren't really able to fully participate um, or engage with their peers and in their classrooms. Um, and we also noticed that there was a lack of generalization outside of those very clinical and program-focused interactions. Um, so students really weren't using their devices to build relationships or a sense of belonging in the school community. Yeah, that's really interesting, Andrea. So um, I'm interested in this this idea of this this sense of abandonment uh, that you're describing. Was do you think that was related to a point in time or a or a sort of learning, you know, learning could only go so far in using the device, you know, sort of in each case, you, you, you got so far and it always, you know, ended up in abandonment. Could, could you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I can't say for certain why every system had been abandoned. Um, based on, you know, comments within the school community, I think staff become so in tune to the students that they're working with and they feel they really can meet their needs um, based on, you know, maybe the gestures and the routine and that nonverbal communication, maybe at times there is some limited um, verbal output. So they, I think they see that they're, they're getting their needs met. Right. Um, and oftentimes they're not understanding why we would have a device in place or an, an alternative system uh, because of that. Yeah. And I think that that that's a good point, right? The the just meeting needs is, you know, not what we're our goals are with these uh, devices, right? Um and because as you say just meeting needs can often be signaled in other ways. Yeah? And uh yeah, yeah. So so that's really interesting. All right. So you had you noticed that uh, challenge in that service and you were looking for more to happen. So so where did you begin there? So we looked at um, two pieces to trying to, to, to solve this. The first was um, a focus on expanding um, more communication functions. So as you said, just getting needs met kind of means that the student is just stuck with that requesting use of the system. Um, and when that's all it's used for, it's easier to put it on a shelf, especially when you're having to follow a classroom routine and the, the option to request or make choices may, may be really predictable. Um, so the system isn't, isn't always necessarily available. So it was looking at how do we expand the functions so that we're moving beyond requesting. And, and our answer to that was really starting to you know, wonder if, if core, moving more towards core words and a core vocabulary would be helpful in that. Um, and as SLPs, once we, we felt, you know, intentional communication was established, maybe through the picture exchange communication system, how do we move more quickly to something that includes core words, um, uh, such as a device or a book? And then the second part that we wanted to start to really pay attention to was this idea of, of communication as connection. So not just meeting an IEP goal or a speech and language goal. Um, but really wanting programming to support that, that, 
you know, a student to be involved in all aspects of their classroom and all aspects of the school community and not just communicating with the teacher or an educational assistant. Thanks, Denise. Can you talk about core words a little bit more, what that phrase is uh, describing? Yeah, so I'll, I'll let Andrea. Okay, lovely. Thank you. Um, so when we speak about core words, we really are speaking about um, that limited number of kind of high frequency words that we use across our day that are incredibly flexible. So they're usually verbs, adjectives, pronouns, um, prepositions, words like that. So they're not specific um, nouns like cat, you know, ball, mm -hmm. um, but they're words that, that offer some flexibility and allow us to, to communicate for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, and it's a bit of a, a, a switch in thinking there uh, in terms of the selection of words that go into the system um, because core words then are allowing more unique messages, I guess. Or am I describing that right, Andrea? Or how would you describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So they're, they're words that um, we can use in a variety of settings, in a variety of situations. And when we pair them together, we can create some more flexible phrases. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so we, uh, we've got those two pieces, core words, and then communication is connection. I think that's a, a, almost a, a slogan, right, uh, for, for capturing that, that piece. Um, but perhaps we'll, we'll come to unpacking all of that. Uh, let's, let's start with the core words uh, piece of that work and uh, tell me about what that looks like, how you set that up, how that goes. So when we started to implement our plan, um, it really started with the shift in our own department. Um, we knew that we had to build some internal capacity before we could support the system as a whole. Um, so after our own learning, um, once we felt prepared, we started to introduce the idea of core words to the system um, and to the school staff through in-services on PA days and lunch and learns. Um, we really, we wanted them to understand, we wanted to teach them about core words, but we also wanted to focus um, on those experiential activities. So we really wanted to simulate um, interactions similar to what our AAC users might experience on a daily basis. Um, so in our PD, one of the activities um, that we did was we, we paired up staff. Um, one took the role of the AAC user and the other being the communication partner. And we had this big goal of we're going to work together, we're going to make a pizza. Um, and we can only use the pictures um, that we've provided. So initially we provided only fringe vocabulary, so only nouns, very specific to the activity, words like pepperoni, cheese, onions. Um, and as the activity progressed and they tried to have this interaction, everyone started to feel a growing frustration. Um, you really couldn't do much beyond requesting the pizza toppings that you maybe wanted. Um, and even though our AAC users were, you know, trying to gesture and trying to use their body language, those attempts were often unnoticed or maybe misinterpreted by the communication partner. Um, and the interaction, it was brief and it, it fell quite flat. There wasn't much that could happen. Um, so then we thought we would try it again, and this time we were going to introduce core words into the mix. Um, so we put words like not, on, more, put, all done, 
Um, and what we noticed was that there was a huge difference. So now our AAC users could do more than request. They could protest by saying things like, not pepperoni. Um, they could comment, you know, like pizza. And they could ask questions. What want? What do you want on your pizza? Um, so not only did the interaction last longer, but there was less frustration in the interaction. Um, and we really noticed kind of a shared enjoyment in the activity. Um, so our hope was that the staff would walk away really seeing how powerful the addition of core words could be into those daily interactions. Wow, I'm convinced. <laughs> that, what a great uh, visual that uh, that is, Andrea. Um, can I just go back, uh, ask you, uh, Andrea, you said that in your own department, you yeah. needed to sort of upscale your skills and do some training. Can you talk about what that might have involved? So the listeners yeah, know about so that. It's, it's definitely a different way of thinking um, and programming AAC systems. Um, so it started with, you know what, with similar PD, similar PD that we were offering to the system is PD that we provided internally. Um, so we could all, all see the importance. Nice. Can I just add to that? Um, the other piece that was really instrumental in shifting the department was that Andrea did a great job of creating um, core assessment kits so that you know every slp had had a kit of core boards that were beginner intermediate and advanced and resources that they could take into schools with them every day to support assessment and and to advance students so it was you know it was the pd but then it was also giving these this very busy team of speech language pathologists um, all the resources they needed to just just start implementing right is there anything in that description that could be shared? Could an example of a core board, uh, is that possible to, to share or post or with your materials? Because I think people would super like to see what you're describing there. Uh, beginner, uh, more, more challenging core boards. Absolutely. We could PDF some of the, the board maker resources and, and post them for sure. Yeah, I think that would be lovely. So I think what I'm hearing then is, Andrea, um, you had, when you're saying your train, that your group needed training, I think you had the knowledge and skills based on your past experience to, to support that, that uh, change in your group. So that training came from you is what I'm asking about. Definitely some of it, yeah. yeah. It really... Um... It started with an interest in AAC, and I think as we started to see some gaps in the service that we were providing, um, there was a need that we needed needed to meet. So mm -hmm. it it really it sparked an interest for me for sure. And so, if listeners were interested in those concepts, I think uh, what I might be hearing is that if we go and look at the AAC literature, we'll see lots of these ideas. That yeah. you're describing, right? That, that, that'll be like the prevalent idea, right? Yeah. Um, and then you were able to bring that uh, into the, the board and facilitate that understanding. Um, and then with these assessment kits, speech pathology could really fly with that. I think it, it did like it, it mapped very closely onto what speech pathologists want to be doing in terms of their assessment and understanding. And they could they could really run with that, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
Nice. All right. So thank you. So then I'm, I'm waiting to hear Andrea, what do you do next? You got your, <laughs> you got your teachers all sensitized to core board or core vocabulary, the importance of that. And so what, what happened? Okay. So once we started to build an awareness of core vocabulary at the system level, um, we wanted to get into the schools um, really in support of specific students now. So we started to join um, school meetings, often meetings in the morning, um, and they were brief, you know, 15 minutes might, might be all that we had. Um, so now that we had this awareness of core words, we really wanted to focus on modeling and that aided language piece. So this became the focus um, as we started to get into the schools. Um, so again, because we love sharing knowledge, but we also love those hands-on experiences, um, one of my favorite ways to kind of highlight the importance of aided language um, is we do this activity where we present staff with a series of common phrases um, constructed of core words. So we have our symbols and we remove the text and we want them to try and guess what they mean. So these are things that our students might wanna communicate on a daily basis. Um, but as adults, we take for granted our literacy skills. So I think we rely heavily on the text that accompanies you know, these symbols. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of our students, they might not have those skills that we do. Um, so as you can imagine, core words are quite difficult to represent in pictures. Mm -hmm. So staff really get stumped. Um, it's always such an eye-opener when they see these symbols, this you know, picture language that we're presenting to our students, um, just how difficult it really is to decipher. And I think it really highlights that idea that we need to be showing them these words all day, every day across a variety of situations and settings. Otherwise, they're not going to learn them because what they see is so abstract. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and also, it speaks to, can you speak to the capacity of the child in that case, uh, Andrea? So, uh, because given that I don't have the text, uh, you know, I need to understand the abstract representation of those symbols. And so I need to be able to represent a pretty abstract idea in my head in order to to be the deliverer of the statement. So can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, so some of the, the phrases, one phrase that we have on there is um, turn it up. Mm -hmm. So it's three symbols. So the symbol for turn, for example, um, it's a spiral with an arrow. Um, and then up is an arrow pointing up. That's mm -hmm. That one's a little more obvious. But yeah. when you start to string together these, these random pictures, keep in mind, it's a lot easier with that fringe vocab, with those nouns. An apple's an apple. A dog mm -hmm. is a dog. Those are easy to just look at the symbol and understand what they mean. Mm -hmm. um, but so for these core words, we do need to, to be modeling frequently. I think what also helped staff was even just that analogy to oral language, right? That, that babies listen to language for a long time before they say their first word. Right. So that we need to have the input match the output that we want from that student. So if we want that student to communicate to us in these symbols, we have to practice communicating to them in those symbols as well. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, it's, it's not just a, a one and done. Um, they need to, to map that symbol onto a variety of experiences mm -hmm. and uses. 
Yeah. So there will be a, a sort of a training phase. I don't know if that's quite the word you would like to use for using you modeling the symbols with the student and also getting this idea that you've loved, described so so lovely uh, there, uh, how that the teacher begins to understand uh, the the way those symbols might be used. Right. And you can see, too, I think the staff start, started to see that, you know, doing this for 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day as part of their speech and language time wasn't going to be enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and that started to sort of get a little bit of buy in for, OK, this needs to be always available. You know, lots of people can be using the system to model. Um, it's not just about waiting for the student and saying, you know, use your talker, use your talker, right? It, it really is about getting in there and, and showing them and, and doing all those good strategies that we do when, you know, children are learning to talk verbally, right? Pausing and waiting and, and contriving situations and modeling and modeling and modeling some more. <laughs> yes. I, I'm so I'm wondering then, yeah, so it's not a matter of, of sort of, I'm wondering, you know, how to make it successful for the student, right? So it's not really a matter of taking the child out and training them until they're successful in bringing them back. Um, it's about all right there happening. You know, they might not be successful at the beginning. That, that you know, that's the, I'm thinking of phases there, right? I, I might have this idea that I should train them until I think they can be successful before I put them in the classroom, but that's not really the approach here. Do you, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, you're right. I mean, our, our goal here is that we are supporting not only the staff, but the classmates and everybody in the school community to speak in pictures, mm -hmm. to speak in the language that our AAC users are using. Um, so we really need the team modeling language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's less of a focus on our AAC user and more of a focus on on communicating with pictures with that student. Right. Because we know the it, it takes a long time. Yeah. It's not immediate. Um, there's a lot of exposure that needs to happen before mm -hmm. we start to see some use. I see. Yeah. So the learning begins right in the context, like right, right in the classroom. So the learn, yeah, the learning begins right in the classroom in authentic situations, um, hopefully that are of high interest to the student, mm. um, and and staff, you know, finding those opportunities to model, especially those core words, and and planning ahead, but also being able in the moment to to sort of see the opportunities. Um, and then it really becomes about an accessibility issue, right? Like we would never say to, you know, a child with a different disability, like you have to be able to do this before you can participate in the classroom, right? We, right. we change the classroom so children can participate. Um, so that's where that, that piece of, you know, communication is connection. The focus was really about, you know, less on preparing the child, um, the AAC user to communicate and more on preparing the classroom to be, to learn to communicate with them. Yeah. So, but uh, I want to come to communication uh, is connection and, and talk there. Let me just ask you one more question before we leave core vocabulary um, and stemming back from the comment about the levels of boards, beginner, uh, advanced the boards. Do you start with beginner because that, and then you move on a student, uh, progress them towards more advanced boards, or is it because of the students? Where do you place them? That, that would work? be based on the SLP's assessment. Mm -hmm. um, and just to give you a visual, the way we kind of set up the boards, um, they were really meant to mimic 
what a what a device will look like, knowing that a lot of these users will end up on a device. Mm -hmm. um, so that idea of Proloquo um, and their progressive language features. So you can uncover buttons as we start to see development. So that's mm -hmm. how our boards were set up. Um, so we we kept the same placement, but as we as we moved up, words started to fill in um, in the gaps until we got to the advanced board, um, which was a nine by five grid. So it had forty five core words on it. Okay. Wow. Okay. So let's come to this communication is connection piece. Uh, do you want to just describe that first? So when we, when we talk about communication as connection, um, the idea here is that we're really teaching the school community um, how to communicate with our AAC students um, and to create accessible communication across the school setting and the school day. Um, so what this really means is that we had to shift from being solely focused on the AAC user and building capacity there, but also spending time building the skills of, of everybody else in that school community. So the educator teams, the classmates, everybody um, in the building. Nice. So can we tell, talk about the, the pieces there? Well, how did you do go about building those skills? So the first thing um, that we did in getting everyone involved in supporting AAC um, was by making it a part of the universal design of our spaces in schools. Um, so where this really started was we took those core boards that we were talking about um, and we had giant foam boards made um, for use in the classroom. So our educator teams could use them during activities like reading a story to the class or singing songs. Um, and the hope here is that they're using those skills that we've taught and we've practiced that aided language um, to model language in those familiar classroom mm -hmm. routines. Mm -hmm. um, I'll never forget the first, the first core board put into a classroom. We had an amazing educator team. Um, and our little guy loved songs. He, he wanted to be included with the class um, and, and they wanted to include him. It was, it was very lovely, um, but he loved the wheels on the bus. So the teacher would sit in her rocking chair and she would sit with him. And as she was singing the wheels on the bus, you know, she would model on and go and the whole class would sing. And not only would he get to come up and make his requests on the board, but that's how his classmates communicated their requests as well. Mm. Um, so everybody was modeling language um, throughout a preferred activity of his. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Yeah, what, what a, a great example. Um, and uh, and how about involving the, the peers, the, the other classmates? So, from here, so our, our first hope was that we would start to see it in familiar routines in the classroom. And because that board was always available, um, peers could be coming up and, and using it as well. From there, we also looked at recess, a time when our kiddos are outside playing, but a time when devices are often left inside. Mm -hmm. um, so we worked with our print services department um, to create these giant vinyl outdoor boards. So again, it's that same um, core board that we've been talking about. So we had these, I think they were two by three feet these vinyl boards with all of this core 
um, and some outdoor specific fringe that we could hang in the kindergarten yard, we could hang them in the main play yard. So now our peers could be communicating with, with our AAC users um, at recess as well. This phrase, outdoor, outdoor specific fringe. <laughs> <laughs> could you <laughs> tell me what you mean there? Yeah, so we started to think of some of those very specific things that kids might be doing outside. So we had words um, like run, jump, ball, sand. So some things that they might encounter in the outdoors. And so when you say fringe, do you just mean more words or is there a specific meet context of that word fringe? So if we distinguish core versus fringe, um, so our fringe words are a very specific set of words. So often nouns that are related to an activity. Mm -hmm. So they're not as flexible as our core words. I see. Okay, great. And can I just ask you then, if you were to have more than one child using an AAC mm -hmm. device in your school, would you have more than one vinyl board in your outlet uh, recess? Yeah, how would that work? Yeah, we would. So um, last September, we were actually able to provide um, multiple outdoor boards to all of our schools. So they are now hanging um, in, in, in schools all across um, the board um, and multiple. So we might have some in the kindy yard, um, as well as some highly frequented areas in the large spaces that the and the boards would be different just like dips for like aimed for specific kids or they would be universal boards so this is universal okay yeah mm -hmm. so would all your AAC users have a universal core group uh, that are sort of interchangeable so when a group of uh, a class is using one system and they get another student the next year it would would it look similar? That's a great question. So this is part of our universal design and making our school spaces um, accessible. But there are absolutely scenarios where um, we would use a child's system um, and post that. So I'm thinking of a little guy who loves to bowl. Um, bowling is his favorite thing and he loves to do it with his friends. And his device does not have a strap. So it gets pretty awkward when his friends are trying to model and they're also trying to engage in this physical activity. Um, so what we did was we just took a screenshot of his bowling page on his Prolo Quotico. And that's what we printed and posted in that area. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a mix um, of, of pictures for universal design, but then we also do specifics as well. I see. All right. Nice. So what happened when you posted uh, these vinyl boards in your yard? Uh, just all started pointing or how do you, how did you make the, the magic happen there? <laughs> so they were pretty exciting. They're big and they're colorful and the peers were definitely intrigued. Um, and this was a good opportunity for us to practice some peer prompting as well. Mm. Um, and what does that look like peer prompting? Ah, great question. Um, so what we try to do is really leverage um, the peers so they can be the ones leading those interactions. Um, so instead of, you know, us having to be there to, to facilitate this conversation and these interactions, um, we might prompt the peer to say, why don't you go invite, um, pick, 
pick a random name. Why don't you go and invite uh, Johnny to come play? So then they can take their friend Johnny over to the board and they can model play. They can ask Johnny, come play with me. Um, so we're going to support the peers so they can facilitate those interactions. Mm -hmm. And does it work? Do you see this? Do you see kids taking this up and using that board? Yeah, I, I, we do. Um, not only the boards, but, you know, students' personal systems in the classroom mm. as well. I think we underestimate um, what peers are capable of. I think they really, they want to be included. They want to take those leadership roles and they are not afraid of technology. They are not afraid to touch and make mistakes. They want to get in there. Um, and to be honest, it's often easier to shift the peers than it is to shift the adults right. in the situation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they could be the real leaders. Then. Yes, they, and yeah. they should be. Yeah. They should yes, be. Yes, yes. lovely. Um, uh, in terms of uh, the, the communication is connection, uh, the, the teaching the world, I think. Uh, it, it, you had three parts. I'm not sure now if, I've if we've covered all three parts. So maybe we could outline those three parts and be sure we've talked about them. Well, the next thing we did, so we, um, now we want to get into the classroom. So when we have a new device that's being introduced, um, we've started doing some class-wide lessons on what communication is and the mm -hmm. idea that people communicate in different ways. People might communicate using words, gestures, sign language, AAC, um, but we all have this shared desire to to ask for things and express our feelings and, and talk with our friends. Um, so there's a great storybook that we've purchased re uh, recently called Eddie the Elephant Has Something to Say. Um, it was written by Allison Johns and illustrated by Tara Putt. They're both speech language pathologists. Um, and it's really, really helped us lead those conversations in classrooms, um, not only are the graphics adorable and it approaches it in a very child-friendly way, um, but it's really important that children who use AAC see themselves reflected in the materials that we're using. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nice. So that really sort of opens this idea that there's a, a picture language and uh, that they, you could speak in pictures is one, one avenue for communication. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, after we kind of introduce those ideas, we do like to let the students get hands-on. So maybe... Um, depending on the system, you know, they might do a picture exchange like we would in PECS, or maybe they'll get to use Prolo Quo to, to communicate something. So we, we like to get everybody involved. Yes, very part nice. Of the, part of the focus of some of those lessons is this idea that, you know, um, when there's a communication breakdown or, or somebody's message isn't understood, that it's everybody's responsibility to yeah. help do that repair, which helps not only our AAC users, but some of our kiddos who have apraxia of speech or severe articulation challenges or our um, students who are learning English um, and, and may not, you know, may, and again, may benefit from some of the visuals or different strategies to communicate. So again, it shifts that responsibility uh, from the, you know, person learning to communicate to everybody has a role in, in making sure that messages are, are received um, and that everybody can participate. Mm -hmm. What a powerful message that is. Uh, uh, and so simple, you know, um, and yet 
you know, often when people don't come to, uh, you know, they don't sort of figure out on their own somehow, you know, so really, really nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there a curriculum set for those? Because uh, it sounded like there might have been plural lessons there. Or, you know, do you have a, a set plan for those classroom lessons? I think that would be um, student specific. I think depending mm. on how the team is doing and how the student is doing that would influence um, kind of the plan in the classroom. We do have some materials, um, some ready-made materials that we might utilize. Right. Um, Boardmaker Online has a core first curriculum um, that has some nice storybooks um, and some activities built in. So those are a nice quick, um, quick takeaway. But I think if we have staff and peers who are modeling language all day in very authentic ways, um, then we've really won. I think that's the best, the best thing we can do is just be flexible and, and show, show communication throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Very nice. All right. Have we covered all of our three parts then in our teaching the world? <laughs> Can we I just did. hear those? Can, uh, can I just hear those three parts again, just so I'm sure we've covered them, Denise? Sure. So the first one was universal design and accessibility. Yeah. Okay. The second one was like intentionally teaching the classmates about AAC and communication. And then the third one was really specific to the user and specifically using peer-mediated prompting to, to have everybody involved in, in showing that AAC user um, and supporting them. Oh, lovely, lovely. Great. That's great. Can we talk a little bit about how the service is shared between the speech language pathologists and the CDAs? You've been talking about classroom lessons. Who's doing those? How does that all roll out? Yeah, so we um, are very lucky. We have a very experienced uh, team of SLPs and CDAs. So where an SLP is assigned to a family of schools, a CDA is usually assigned to, to two SLPs to support them. And that support is is not prescribed and it's really fluid and unique to the needs in that school community um, as determined by the SLP and the CDA. So, um, you know, some CDAs may be running groups, some may be in classrooms modeling AAC. Um, it, it's very responsive. Um, and I would say that our, our CDAs are, are really, you know, equal partners in, in, um, how that those services roll out and their expertise is unique. They have a different lens than speech language pathologists. So they bring a, a unique set of skills to the table. Um, so, you know, they may be pushing into a classroom and facilitating, you know, um, a lesson around, you know, communication or how everybody uses a system or doing peer mediated prompting and building that capacity of, of the classroom. They may also be, um, you know, preparing materials and lessons around certain core words, um, and then coaching, um, educators or, uh, educational assistants around how, how to do that. They're, you know, helping to program the devices. And then, we're lucky because our SLPs do all that as well, right? Yeah. So it really is, you know, who who is in the school, who's how our schedule is going to work in a way that we can meet the most needs in any given day. Mm -hmm. um, and then who does it? Our schools are very used to seeing SLPs and CDAs doing very similar types of intervention activities mm -hmm. just based on, you know, who's available. Mm -hmm. 
So that plan is uh, rolling that out or, you know, addressing those needs is happening sort of at the team level, right? Uh, the the Yeah, it happens, be, it happens between the SLP and the CDA and they, and we usually sort of chunk the, the school year, right? So there's like, you know, the, the fall and the startup and then there's sort of Christmas to March break and then there's March break to the end of the year mm-hmm. um, when, again, we may, we may shift resources in the board. So we... Um, in our board, based on our, our tiered model, um, you know, within tier two, we have different pathways. Mm. Um, so we have a specific AAC pathway that sort of prescribes the number of visits students have, you know, in a, in a school year if they're having a new system versus if we're maintaining a system. And I would say our our AAC students are the ones that we don't typically discharge. Um, we tend to sort of keep them as sort of those tier three kiddos almost um, and, and support them all through all through high school as well. Not as intensely as we do in the early years, but certainly we're continuing to revisit that. So, so within those chunks of the year, the SLP and the CDA may, may you know, take a look at the caseload and, and sort of figure out where everybody's time is best spent. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And and lots of um, more questions, which we won't be able to talk about <laughs> today. Uh, but what's a next step uh, for, for this particular AAC service piece? What Where do you see things? What's another thing you, you might Well, I for? think our next step is um, we would like to be a little more intentional around how we're supporting literacy development with mm. our AAC users. Mm. Um, so the good news is we've we've laid a good foundation with our shift to core um, and aided language. You know those ideas promote the formation of phrases and sentences, which is is creating um, a very natural connection to literacy. Um, so we have a couple of things that we're looking at. Um, one area we've started looking at is developing the knowledge of story structure. Um, through the use of a program called Story Chance that we use frequently at the board. Um, so we will, we will explore that a little further with our AAC users. And um, Denise, maybe you want to talk about our piece with the librarians. Yes. So um, a couple of, I guess about a month ago, I was in a, a school um, in a structured teaching. It's our life skills classrooms in elementary. Um, that tend to have a lot of AAC users. And one of the librarians came in and was doing a phenomenal job um, with engaging them and using their devices. And she'd chosen a story that had lots of colors. So everybody sort of had some of their, their fringe, you know, vocabulary around colors open. And I, I was amazed and I thought, this is how do we replicate this across the system? Mm-hmm. So now we have a little bit of a community of practice of librarians um, in several schools who are all supporting you know, these structured teaching classrooms, um, community classrooms uh, around building their capacity. And so they're choosing storybooks and we're going to provide them some support and in-servicing around how, how to, you know, use books with children who are using AEC. And then hopefully um, we'll be able to grow that to all librarians across the board because, you know, there's AAC users in every school um, across all grade levels. So we're hoping that we're, again, we're, we always look to who is in our school community that we can partner with and collaborate with and leverage their expertise and opportunities. And I would say Halton Catholic 
has my experience at this board has, they're always open to new ideas. People are like, you can cold call our manager of library services and say, I have this idea. And she'll be like, that's great. Like, how do we start? You know, when can we get this going? Um, and similarly, you know, when Andrea sort of started doing her, her self-directed learning around core and brought that to the team, like very quickly, that was able to be a system shift, um, you know, because people recognize the value. So we're fortunate that we're in a board that is pretty nimble. Right. Well, yes, that's, that's very exciting. Well, what's, what's a, just as we're winding up, what's a piece of advice you might give to a colleague who is looking to develop their services in this area? I would have to say, be patient. <laughs> this doesn't happen overnight. Um, this is this has been years in the making for mm-hmm. us, and and we're still we're, we're still learning. We're still mm-hmm. growing. Um, and like Denise said, collaborate. There are a lot of great partners in the schools who are willing to to learn with us and support this as we as we move. And I would say, don't be afraid to think big. Like, uh, you know, when, when you are finding something working with one student in one school, I, I would quickly start be starting to ponder, you know, how can we replicate this? What could this look like across the system and how do we roll it out? Um, and I think sometimes, you know, magic happens when an SLP or CDA is in the room and, and a few people see it and, and we need to sort of be thinking big about how we're going to spread that magic around and how we're going to teach other people to do the magic. Mm-hmm. How, how lovely. That's a really inspirational. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I really appreciate the visuals you've drawn and the examples and the anecdotes about how you've uh, fostered that learning. Cause I really think that that's, that's going to be so helpful for people who, who are wanting to think more about uh, working in this area. So just before we we finish, let's uh, let's go with uh, one of your favorite out of work activities. That sounds like you guys are very busy at your board, but you need you need some break from that sometimes. So what about an out of work activity? Andrea, do you want to start? Sure. Um, well, with the holiday season quickly approaching, my love of baking tends to shine. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoy baking. Yeah, lovely. And Denise? Um, well, I have two uh, adorable dogs and puppies that I enjoy walking with and hiking with and and trying to teach them things. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's uh, what I like to do is spend uh, time with them. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you so very much for uh, talking with me today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at larchiba.uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.